Chuck, uh, welcome out once again. That looks like another exciting evening here with kids, pizza, and nine square, and all kinds of good stuff going on, huh? Yeah, actually, Rodney, we're getting ready to kick off and have our um, our weekly chapel service, or I guess whatever, you know, our race weekend chapel service is getting ready to start right now, and of course, we've got some pizza out here, uh, and this is in memory of Ty Keston, who... Um, we just kind of wanted to memorialize him, as, as some people might not know, but we had a tragedy uh, last time we met down in Georgia, and uh, one of our 17-year-old racers um, passed away. And uh, so we're going to address that tonight with our GNCC family, and we invited everybody to come out right now down to the Team Faith Transporter. We've got some pizza left over. Um, we'll kick up the nine square game afterwards, and right now we're getting ready to sit down and, and focus on what God has to say to us. All right, it sounds good. And uh, Chuck, again, I just want to take this off. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for you being here. It means a lot. And especially, I think that there's a message tonight that's going to be special for a lot of folks. And, uh, they want to be here for sure. Yeah, um, it, it's heavy on our hearts, and it's hard to deal with, but the only way to deal with it is to deal with it. So that's what we're going to do, and God's grace is sufficient even in these bad times, and I can do all things through him who, who strengthens me. Amen on that. And again, we invite everybody down when we get in the way here in just a few minutes, right? Yeah, actually, about right now. Right now. Bring your chairs. If you've got some chairs, you might bring chairs. We flow on chairs up here. All right. Hey, welcome to the uh, Team Faith Chapel service. This one, uh, as you just heard me interview with Rodney there, this one's a little bit different. And um, I know that a lot of us, uh, the last time we met in Georgia, um, you know, we had a really good chapel service Saturday evening. We got up. A lot of us raced on Sunday and uh, everything seemed to be normal. There was a long delay at, uh, at the start of the 1 p.m. race and we didn't really know what was going on. We just figured riders were stuck in the woods. But as we got home, I'm sure that many of you logged on to social media and saw that there was, um, there was a reason for that delay, that we actually had a racer pass away. And, uh, and it's been heavy, whether you knew Ty Keston or not, it's been really heavy on all of our hearts. And um, unfortunately, this is, uh, this is a reality of life. It's a reality of our sport, one that we don't often have to meet in off-road racing, but occasionally we do. And um, so as it's heavy on our hearts, we wanted to, I talked it over with, um, with Tim Cotter and Kerry uh, Russell, and, and we thought, you know, we'd really like to memorialize Ty's life at this round right now, and we, we want to deal with it. So we've had some pizza here, we've been playing some games, and of course now we're going to have a chapel service, and I've invited Tim to just say a few words to us. This is a little bit different, different flavor for us tonight, but... Uh, Tim Cotter is uh, the director for MX Sports. He is one that has, has been very, very instrumental on getting Team Faith on this series and uh, opening the series to having a faith-based chapel service. And so, Tim, if, if you don't mind, I'm sure that you've got a few things on your heart, and we certainly appreciate you being here and taking time to be with us. Thank you, Chuck. Many of you know that I am a public speaker. In fact, I started... Uh, coming to uh, what was then the Wysco 100 Mile Series and then became GNCC and I was the announcer. It was the fall of 1977. So speaking for me comes really easy until now. <clears throat> I didn't know Ty. I don't know that I ever met Ty. But when we get together, you often hear 
the message from us is that we're a family. And because I may not know your first name or your last name or your birth date, uh, the common thread is this, our family, what we do. And so I, I wasn't even at Georgia. I wasn't, I wasn't there. I, I was uh, going to Vincent, Florida at the time, and but when I got the news, uh, it hurt. It hurt really bad, and I'm sure it hurt for all of you. And it, unfortunately, it is a reality of what we do. Motorcycle racing, I say it all the time, it's inherently dangerous. If we were playing shuffleboard today, would you guys be here? I don't think so. If this was a big shuffleboard tournament, most of you don't even know what shuffleboard is. It's a real sissy game. You wouldn't be here. You're here because of the excitement, the adrenaline, and that equates to the danger. And we can't make sense out of it. My grandfather always told me you can't make sense out of nonsense. Um, but we're here as a family. And whether you choose to race tomorrow, or in two weeks, or next week, or not, we're all family. And when someone in our family hurts, we all hurt. I went to the funeral home in Pittsburgh on Thursday. And I sat in a line for probably an hour and a half, and then I got to the building. And I sat there and I watched these kids and these families and, and all the, you can tell they had their flat bills on and they had ears covered up. And, and they were all of us. And they drove for many miles. And to watch those young men and women in that funeral home as they interacted with one another, it was really refreshing for me. Because I don't know you without your helmet on. I never see you without your helmet on. And that night, I saw a bunch of great young men and women. And I was very proud to be a part of that. And then the funeral itself was on a Saturday, cold Saturday. It snowed. Um, I'd never seen such a funeral procession from so many people and the love that, that was there. And I felt that love. And I know that Ty has probably rained on us yesterday, and he made sure it's going to be sunny and nice for the motorcycle. And I know that Ty's with us, and, and I just hope that all of you will have Ty and their family in your hearts, in your prayers. And I'm grateful that you're our family. And I appreciate that. Let's pray. Lord, we don't understand things sometimes, and yet we know that you're sovereign, and we know that you're with us right now. 
And so we just say a special prayer for the Keston family and the friends of the family and the people that are hurting with this tragedy and with this loss. We know that you care. So would you open our hearts right now to give us just a little bit of understanding of who you are and what your purposes are. And then may that understanding just grow into a love for those around us. And may your love and your light shine through this GNCC nation. In Jesus' name, amen. In the spirit of trying to figure out, make sense out of nonsense, as Tim's dad used to say. You know, I've been, I've been around church for a long time been a Christian since I was 12 years old, and I'll just level with you that there are times that I don't understand God, and there are times that I question God, are you there, and there are times that I question God, do you care, and you look at a tragedy like this, and you, those questions, they come to mind, and as I try to wrap my head around those kind of questions, I'm reminded of a story that's in the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, one of the 12 chosen that Jesus said, come and follow me and be with me through my ministry here on this earth. And some of those disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so John was one of those guys, and he followed Jesus around. And later in his life, uh, after all the events of Jesus' life transpired, John wrote down some of his memories. And we have them in the Gospel of John. And as I wrestle with the question of God, are you there and do you care? I'm just reminded of one of the stories that John told us about Jesus. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think I could say it any better than John wrote it. So if it's all right with you, I'll just dig into John chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. The first thing that I want to notice here as I start to read this is we've got three characters, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And uh, it was Mary who uh, actually, she hasn't even done it yet. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Mary hasn't poured the ointment on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. We find out about that in John chapter 12. But Luke's gospel tells us about Mary and Martha, how Jesus one day goes to their house and he's having dinner and Martha's over there fixing dinner. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's listening to the teaching, and Martha finally has enough of it. And she says, Lord, I'm over here slaving away over this hot stove. Tell my sister to get in here and help. And Jesus chastises Martha. He says, Martha, you are anxious about so many things. Mary is doing something of eternal significance. Eternal significance. Let that, let that resonate in your mind as, as we continue reading. It says, uh, so the sister sent to him, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He who you love, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus knew them. And it's interesting to point that out, that Jesus was good friends with them. He loved them. Did you know that even the hairs on your head are numbered? Did you know that God loves you so much? He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. David in the psalm said, I am fearfully and wonderfully knit together in the womb. God knows you. He knows every single one of you. Whether you know God or not doesn't matter. God knows you. And at this point in our story in the Gospel of John, we've, John has already established that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the one sent from God, that he is God in the flesh. And Jesus knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus knows every single one of us sitting right here, intimately aware of our everything, all of our life. Did you know that we're here? As Tim said, we're not here to play shuffleboard. We're not here, we're not here to do something that's, uh, that's of inconsequence. We are here to race four-wheelers and dirt bikes. And that love was put in my heart by the one who created me. 
And so we'll continue on. God, or Jesus, Jesus knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, the one he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So the son of God may be glorified through it. Now that's kind of a strange thing. But what he starts off by saying is this illness does not lead to death. Well, if you have never heard this story before, that's probably the only thing that catches your attention. And sometimes I think I'm at a disadvantage because I grew up in church and I've heard this story and it's very, very familiar to me. But if you had never heard this before, and you're sitting there in the disciple's shoes, and you're sitting around Jesus, and somebody comes and says, hey, your really good friend is sick, and he's about to die. Come quickly. And Jesus says, well, this illness does not result in death. And then he says something about the glory of the Son of God, and, you know, something vague. We don't really understand. But, hey, the illness doesn't result in death. That's good news. Then after he said this, he said to the... I'm sorry, I lost my place. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister... Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's a little disturbing to me. You see, it's interesting that Mary and Martha send to Jesus and they say, hey, he who you love, he is sick. Come quickly. Why did they do that? Because Jesus could do something about it. Jesus could do miracles. If you've read any of the Gospels, you've heard about this guy, Jesus, who could open the eyes of the blind, who the lame could walk and they could leap for joy. And he's done all these different miracles. He's broken bread and fish. He's fed 5,000 people before. And they say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. You can do something about it. Come quickly. Is that not like you and me? Lord, I have a prayer request, and I know that you can answer this prayer request. Would you answer this prayer request? It was about a year ago, probably to the day, that I sat before you at, the, at round number three, and I told you the story about um, Jason Newby. Dawson Newby is our arena cross racer, and he was at, last year he was 17 years old. His dad, Jason, was driving our rig, and he saw a terrible accident on the side of the road, and so he pulled our Team Faith tractor trailer over to the side of the road. Actually, it's a big motor coach. Pulls it over to the side of the road, and he goes to lend assistance. As, as he runs towards the burning tanker truck, it exploded, just like you see on the movies. It exploded and severed his leg, knocked him unconscious. A passerby was able to drag him to safety, put a tourniquet on his leg, and then Jason got on the phone, and he called Brian O with Team Faith. He said, hey, I've just been in this terrible accident, and um, the highway is shut down. And Brian related it later. He said, it was weird. I didn't hear a noise. I didn't hear a single sound of anything. The interstate was shut down in both directions. And Jason's talking to me on the cell phone. He says, I think I'm going to die. And I'm waiting on a life flight to come and get me. And, uh, and as it turns out, we all started praying. That's when Brian called me. I started praying. got my family praying. And we prayed. And we prayed for Jason that his life would be spared. And if it's not too much to ask, could you spare his leg too? His leg had a hole in it the size of almost a softball. It should have, he should have lost that leg. Today, Jason's walking without crutches. God does miracles. And so we pray. And we're like Mary and Martha. And we say, come quickly. We need this prayer answered. And Jesus stayed around for two days to be level with you that hurts my feelings why would he do that jesus loved mary and martha he heard that lazarus was sick he stayed two days longer then after this he said to his disciples he said let us go to judea again the disciples said to him rabbi the jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to go there again i can imagine I can imagine the disciples. Bethany is in the region of Judea. Bethany's two miles outside of Jerusalem, just as uh, John related to us. 
And Jesus had recently been there, and the religious leaders wanted to put him to death. They leave that place. They're in a place of safety. We don't know where that is exactly, but they're in a place of safety. Some people come and say, Jesus, come to Judea. Your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is like, ah, this sickness ain't going to result in death. And the disciples are like, whew, <laughs> because they wanted to put him to death over there. Two days later, Jesus is like, hey, let's go to Judea. They're like, weren't they just trying to kill you there? There's like a wanted poster with your face on it. We don't want to go to Judea. What are you thinking? And Jesus answered. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. <laughs> Jesus, sometimes his answers are so different and so strange. Like, Jesus, we shouldn't go to Judea. They want to kill you. Yeah, there's daylight. You know, when it's, when it's daytime, there's daylight. When it's nighttime, there's dark time. Okay, what does that mean? He says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, well, great. If he's just sleeping, then he'll get better. We don't have to worry about it. And then Jesus answered them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Once again, kind of a hurtful thing to say. Lazarus has died. I'm God. I know he died. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no Facebook, no telegraph lines, anything like that. But Jesus seems to know these things. He says, no, Lazarus, he's not asleep asleep. He's dead. And I'm glad I wasn't there. But let's go to him now. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, he said, let us also go that we may die with him. I think that Thomas is probably my favorite of all the 12 disciples. Thomas, we know of him as Doubting Thomas. If you read to the end of the Gospels, you find out that Thomas was a skeptic at the very end. He didn't believe things. He didn't take it at face value. He wanted proof. I like that. I like proof of things. I have an inquisitive mind. I want to know. You know, I don't just take it at face value, something that somebody tells me. I want to know. People that are like that tend to be very sarcastic. I like sarcasm. Not everybody does, but I find it very humorous. Thomas, he's like, all right, well, saddle up, boys, let's go, and we'll just die with him. And so they go to Judea, they go to Bethany. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. How long did Jesus wait? Two days. How long had Lazarus been dead? Four days. So if Jesus had hustled right over there, four minus two, he'd have been two days late, right? But it's still, he tarried. He knew that Lazarus would die, and yet he still waited. I'll come back to that in just a second. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And you can just hear the hurt there. That Mary, the messengers have come back. They said, yeah, we told Jesus, but he didn't come. Mary stays behind. Martha goes out to meet Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, you let me down. God, I had this prayer request. God, I sincerely sought you. I sent you in earnest. I sent you messengers to tell you exactly what my need was. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can hear the hurt right there too. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's probably one of the most important things that Jesus ever said. He who believes in me will never die. Yet, yet though he die, will he live? Kind of a confusing, perplexing thing. 
He says, Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I don't really understand what you just said about resurrection and life and dying and living, but I know that you're the one that God sent down here. And that's about all the faith that I got left. I can hear it in the tone of her voice there. I don't really understand you, but I know that there's something special about you. I know that you are God. You know, there was a time in my life, and it wasn't a, very, it wasn't a time to be proud of. It was a time that I stepped out on church. I had given up on church. I had given up on Christians, people that went to church. I had given up on them all. And I went and I talked to a guy who had once been a mentor of mine when I was a teenager. He had made disastrous choices. And he had found himself in prison. And I went to prison and I visited him. I said, you know what? I'm just leaving it all behind me. He said, I'll, I'll give you the only advice that I know to give you. He said, do what you can when you can and never give up on God. And so I ran from church. I ran from Christians. I ran from God. But there came a point in my life where I remembered that. Do what you can when you can and never give up on God. And when I could, I would pick up my Bible. And I couldn't open it, but I could pick it up and I could look at it. Every once in a while, I could pray and just say, God, if you want something from me, you'll have to change my heart. And God eventually did. You see, God has never given up on me, and he'll never give up on you. And sometimes the only kernel of faith that we have in a moment like this is to say, okay, I know you're God, and that's all I got. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, I asked and you didn't answer. Of course, four minus two equal two. What if Jesus had come there right away, straight away, gets there, Lazarus is dead. Oh, no. What have I done? I missed it. I was too late. Jesus waited for two days because he knew exactly what was happening in that moment. And there was a plan that God had put in place. And so we'll continue. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. As Tim said just a minute ago, when we see one of our family members hurting, even though I personally never had met Ty, I couldn't hardly keep it together at the funeral. I saw people hurting. And Jesus, knowing what he was about to do, couldn't help it either. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could he not, who have opened the eyes of the blind, have also kept this man from dying? Seems you answer everyone else's prayers, God. What about me? Seems you'll do it for everybody else, but here I am in this hour of need, and you're waiting for two days. You don't even seem to care. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha, didn't you hear me when I said, I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me, though he die, yet will he live? <laughs> you said, yes, you believe that I am Christ, the son of the living God. Move the stone. 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amazing. At this point in the story, you just kind of want to stand up and cheer and clap a little bit. Like, wow, that's pretty awesome. You waited for two days. You kind of had the plan all along. You knew what you were doing. When you didn't answer prayer, it was so that your Father in heaven could be glorified. That's pretty amazing. But what do I do with it today in 2016 in face of a tragedy? Well, you see, the thing is that because of that thing with Lazarus, Lazarus come forth and he comes out dressed like a mummy. <laughs> They're like, wow, look at that. Because of that, it says that many Jews believed on Jesus. It wasn't too much longer after this that it was, uh, it was the time for the Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples, they go into Jerusalem. And we celebrated this two weeks ago, Palm Sunday. This is the time that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey, not a horse, not a war horse. He's riding on a donkey, which fulfilled an ancient scripture saying, Behold, your king comes humble and riding on a donkey. And all the people are shouting and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're taking off their jackets and they're cutting down palm branches and they're paving the street so Jesus can ride through. And they're thinking, here is our conquering hero. Here is our Messiah. And within a matter of days, they hung him on a cross and they killed him. And Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, found himself on the cross. Not that he found himself, but he went to the cross. Because all along, all through the Gospels, he keeps saying, I'm going to die. And his disciples keep saying, you're not going to die. You're like the king. You're going to be the Messiah. You're going to rule over us. You're not going to die. You've got to quit that crazy talk. And Jesus would reiterate, I am going to die. And then he died. The only perfect person that has ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus, God's own son, the only one who could ever live a perfect and sinless life, was hung on a cross. And God allowed our sin to hang there on that cross with him. That's where the story of Lazarus comes in. Because we don't see Lazarus today. Lazarus died. He is no longer with us. But Jesus, what happened on the third day? The tomb was empty. Jesus himself conquered death. And that's where the hope that Lazarus has. Many Jews believed on Jesus that day. That's the hope that you and I have today. Because the tomb was empty, we can have life in Jesus Christ. On the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, yet he dies, though he will live. All it takes is a belief on Jesus. You see, we get a glimpse of that. John wrote another book. It's called Revelation. It's a pretty cool book. If you read about it, you read about some really crazy and strange things that are going to happen at the end of time. But in the, in the 21st chapter, there's a really cool passage there. Says, uh, John, this is John saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Everything that you see here is going to be gone someday. It's no longer going to exist. You and I and our earthly bodies are no longer going to exist. There's going to come a time when these bodies either give out or they go out. It says a new heaven and a new earth. The first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven of God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. You see, all of us are longing for a day of perfect justice. We're longing for a government that actually knows what they're doing. We long for the day that we could live as we were created to be. And that day is coming. 
He who is seated on the... Oh, he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. You see, there's a hope in Jesus Christ that because he conquered death, we'll conquer death, and there's an eternity waiting for us. And so in a moment like this, when we say, God, where are you? And I don't understand you. Sometimes all it takes is a faith enough to say, okay, you are God, and I don't know what the end of that looks like, but I believe your word, and I believe in that new heaven, that new earth. I believe in the river of life that John talks about in Revelation chapter 21, and I long for that day where there is no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more pain. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, yet though he die, will he live. One of the strangest things that Jesus ever said, if it was the first time you ever heard it, but 2,000 years this side of the tomb, it makes perfect sense. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I urge you, don't let another moment pass. My name's Chuck Lee Master. I'm with Team Faith. I'm going to be here. I want you to come and seek me out. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to tell you more. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Our hearts are still broken because of the tragedy that we faced three weeks ago. And our hearts still cry out just to comfort the, Ke- the, the, the Keston family. Comfort the friends. Comfort us as we go forward from here. But as you do so, would you take that grain of faith that's in our heart, that just barely enough to acknowledge that you're God, and would you just water it and grow it and turn it into something useful for your eternal glory? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate uh, your respect in this moment, and uh, I encourage you to go out there and let your light shine.